It is March 7th, 2022. This is Rook. is an Iranian singer, songwriter, dancer, and recording artist who grew up in Australia and is now doing something groundbreaking in Dubai. Leila Cardon set out on a mission to empower women, break regional stereotypes, push boundaries, and she's doing all of that with the creation of a dazzling new cabaret she's opened in the UAE. It's called Papillon, and it's a dinner theater experience in the old European burlesque tradition, but updated and with a Middle Eastern style and thought-provoking performances, and it is a hit that has been Profiled everywhere from Vogue to Harper's Bazaar. Leila Cardon joins us from Dubai. This is Conversations from, to, and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode 170 of Rook. <laughs> I was laughing to myself as I said diaspora. <laughs> oh, I, it's you did it again. To, 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 no, I said diaspora. Oh, did you? I mean, okay, sorry. I'm, I'm, you weren't mind. even listening to I me just not. do no. the intro. <laughs> 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 I zoned Off to a great start. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's so hard for me after diaspora for almost two years now to segue to the... <laughs> Like Sadly, a, the correct way. It's like a I'm breakup. Saying. It really is. It really is. I'm breaking up with my former way of saying diaspora to not diaspora. Uh, hope you're keeping well wherever you're tuning in from around the world. Hello to you from Toronto, Canada. Welcome to Rook. Salam Dustan Aziz. Durud Bashumah. Hello to the fabulous Kion. Hi, Gian. Uh, hello, Gravishaya. Hi, Aziz. Hello, Captain Reza. Hello, sir. Uh, Leila Cardon in Dubai coming up in a few moments. A groundbreaking. Um, new cabaret experience she's created. It's just a really interesting story too. Not only uh, she had a she had a good corporate job, like you, Kia, mm, and she just left well. Here's it your all. here's your inspiration. Uh, you know you've 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 flirted with the idea I of, of leaving the corporate world. Mm. She she was doing really well, and then you know wanted to pursue her her passions, and mm. so here she is in Dubai, and and then creates this. Uh, provocative cabaret and it's it's no small feat i mean it's a it is there's a lot of investment a lot of thought a lot of people who've been you know behind this thing and and uh and it's a success so yeah. far it only opened uh i think a couple of months ago and um i got the chance to see it when That's i was right. in dubai and so i'm excited to have Layla on the show and and to talk about um both her mission and what she has accomplished mission accomplished um <laughs> Thank you. And before the end of the show, we want to talk a little bit about Ukraine again and that situation and how it resonates for Iranians. We'd be remiss if we don't uh, remember the people of Ukraine. We'll get to that. But first, um, I know that uh, Reza, is, he's got like a muzzle on. It's, not, it's like a heavy COVID mask. And it's because you're sick again? Uh, it's because uh, I just have a bit of a sniffle uh-huh. uh, that started last night. 
The last uh, time you had a bit of a sniffle, you, you, the, the, the entire team was out for two months. <laughs> Thanks a lot. No, yeah. that was Keon. That was I, Keon. Absolutely not. That absolutely was Keon. I don't think he's responsible nope. for that one. But this time, I called Gian. I said, Gian, John, I can do the uh, show over the phone if you want. I don't have to come in right now. If uh, how, do you, how do you feel about this? Is like, uh, Please come in and sit next to Shia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Pretty much. <laughs> He's like, wear a mask, come in, you'll be fine. So here I am. But the Tylenols are kicking in, so Whoa. I don't think I'll be talking much. Well, you don't have forward. a, you don't, well, you st- <laughs> first Finally, of all. my prayers have been answered. <laughs> Son of a gun. Do, do we have letters today? Because I don't think I can do. Uh, You're supposed to be directing yeah. the show, by the way. I mean, I, I like how we've just given that up. Oh, We're just, know. Uh, you know, it's I just know. a matter of whether you can make it through the conversation. <laughs> but uh, I already feel like I've contracted whatever it was that you have. You see, uh, that's why I didn't want to come in. <laughs> that is the I, you, I should have texted because then I could have had evidence, right? You see, it denies it now. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. Uh, careful, Shaya. And we actually, Savvy Roham, because you might be part of this conversation we have coming up. So Savvy Roham is a, it looks like an infirmary ward again. Look at these guys (laughs) with their masks on. and We just can't quit the COVID era. You know, we can't. uh, Hi, Roham. How are you? Hello. All right. It's just cautionary sitting by next to Reza have masks. Yeah. Yeah. Reza, what did you what, <laughs> what have you been up to that you got uh, a cold again? Last night I was uh out uh, with a couple of friends. Uh-huh. Drinking and uh, Oh boy. You know. So you don't you're not sick, you're hung over. No, 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 no. Okay. I was I went outside. I wasn't wearing much. So we went out, we would have been standing outside. Were you a teenager? <laughs> Hasn't your mom told you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in front of everybody. She's like, you go outside naked. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite. That's one of my favorite Persianisms <laughs> to say, <laughs> to translate for our non-Iranian friends, this uh, thing, or, uh, it means, literally means like, naked. why are you going out naked? <laughs> and it's like, mom, I've got a jacket on. At <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's very... That's mm. that's that's Persian caring. That's that that means caring. she cares. Why are you out there naked? Well, you clearly. I'm now convinced you've brought this on yourself somehow. Uh, <laughs> and may I just say that your your buddy over there, Shia. Yeah. Yesterday, Shia and I were supposed to. Uh, we had this plan for like a week. Mm-hmm. We've had this plan of um, we were going to write write some music together, like jam yeah. uh, yesterday. And uh, and you know, Shia had even said, "I will make you some brunch, and then we can," you know. <laughs> And then so like so Saturday night uh, I go to bed going oh tomorrow I'm gonna get up and you know Shy and I are gonna jail. So I get up and I see there's a message from Shia, from Shia at like 4:51 a.m. Oh. Right, he's left me a message at 5 a.m. and it's just hi Azizam. I think I am hung over. I am. No, what is it? I am hangover tomorrow. Yeah. I was sure that I am gonna be hangover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hungover. Hangover. Well, yeah, I'm going to have a hangover. Uh-huh. I, you can't say I am hangover. Okay. <laughs> you can, but it's yeah, a, it's I'm a hangover. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be hungover. Yeah. So anyway, everybody had a great. Apparently, you know, it must uh, have been a good weekend. Yeah, what they're did running we, around Lucht and well, yeah. drinking, <laughs> and <laughs> being merry, <laughs> running you know around. What? They, you You paid for it. You yeah, got what it's you. It's an eyes wide shut party. Some, what? <laughs> Uh, what did you get to, uh, up to this weekend? You're uh, tired too. I what did I do? I don't know. I went to a 
art par- parties are a thing again like actually yeah. public events that's what it is a, i think everybody's so eager yeah, to get out some miami know. artist was having a party and exhibiting his work and oh i saw on yeah. instagram you were um you were spray painting yeah a, he had a canvas and he asked all the guests to kind of do their own thing wow. and it was mm. kind of fun yeah um, Who knew yeah. that the artsy one would be Keon? Yeah. <laughs> the, the four people. Yeah, <laughs> These guys are getting hungover, <laughs> shooting up drugs. I don't know what the, And I go to God art knows parties. what they're getting up to. <laughs> messages at 4.51 a.m. Those are all the I things Keon hangover. should do. Yeah, really. What's, what's wrong with this picture? Uh, we're coming to you on rookmedia.com. It's there that you can link to all of our platforms. We are on our ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian DNA. Diaspora Identity. We're on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, CastBox. If you'd like to see some visuals with Rook, switch over to YouTube right now. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and in Persian, check us out on Telegram. I, I mentioned CastBox. You know, Savvy Roham knows this because Savvy Roham uh, oversees the, the stats, the analytics, the numbers. Uh, did you guys know our, our audience in Iran for Rook? Mm-hmm. But recently, by the way, we uh, we haven't hit our two-year mark yet, which will be in April. Mm-hmm. But recently, we surpassed 2.5 million Ooh. downloads uh, of yeah. our program cumulatively over the course of the last year and 10 months. But uh, we're pretty proud of that. 2.5 oh, million is nothing to be uh, to, to sniff at. But our audience in Iran has grown so much so that our top cities... Uh, you know, Tehran was always up there, right? It was always like Toronto, LA, Vancouver, Sydney, Tehran, you know. But now uh, some other Iranian cities have joined our top urban centers who are listening to Rook wow. in English. What kind of cities? Well, uh, now I'm not going to ask Roham, but mm-hmm. can you guess uh, if Tehran is number one, uh-huh. can you guess what number two is and number three of uh, audiences listening to Rook in Iran in the thousands in each city. I'm going to say what I'd like it to be. If it's Shiraz, I'm totally going to take credit for it. Mm -hmm. But I think it's going to be... You think that there's people listening in Shiraz because they're like, that's our boy. That's right, yes. Imagine this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you you would hope that it was Shiraz. What do you think it it is? But I think it would be Tabriz. And then what? Oh, sorry, Mashad. Sorry, Mashhad and then Tabriz. Okay, what do you think, Shaya? Uh, I think Mashhad and um, and a Kish maybe. Okay, yeah. all right. Kian, what do you I think? I don't know. Uh, Mashhad number one, Tehran number two. Okay. Well, Tehran's number one. Oh, they yeah, are. Yeah. Okay. No, Tehran. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I started with Tehran as number one. So, Kian, there's yeah. a podcast. <laughs> I'll go get a coffee. <laughs> uh, okay. They get after Tehran, the top cities listening to Rook in Iran are in fact Mashhad and Tabriz. No way. Yes. I was right. You were right. Wow. Yeah. But I, I, I tell you, I, I, I get so energized by this. Just the idea, first of all, we're doing the show in English. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, we never, when we launched Rook Media and, and you know, uh, we aspired to a global audience, I never really thought that would include Iran. I mean, I knew that there'd be some people in Tehran, some urban, you know, English speaking, mm-hmm. but, but the, for it to have grown the way it has um, and to continue growing, I mean, it's like literally over 30% of our audience now. Yeah. Uh, as our audience grows, it's really exciting. And I, for some reason, I put Tabriz and Mashhad in a different category. Like I think, okay, Tehran, mm-hmm. but you know that somebody's in Tabriz, and eh, it's great. Anyway, hi awesome. to you folks who are out there in Tabriz and and Mashhad. Uh, 
thank you for listening and and Hi. and where is uh, and, and where are the Shirazis <laughs> despite oh. despite the star no, power no of Reza no love for Shiraz <laughs> yeah. not cool. it's not just Reza Shia is from Shiraz I'm oh, from Shiraz right. he's from Shiraz the whole, Shiraz the, whole <laughs> the whole team is from Shiraz but we have nobody we have actually my mom is from Tabriz so that oh, explains that family's from Tehran so yeah I mean I've got the a super piece from Mashhad oh, you yeah. know it's a true, true diaspora. Where diaspora. are they? Where are you? Uh, yeah, you, you Shirazis there. I mean, I, I, I think Shiraz is on the they're list. They're partying actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All hungover. They are probably in Toronto. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, thank you, Savvy Rohomi. <laughs> starting to regret that we have for <laughs> given Rohomi a mic. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, rookmedia.com, by the way, is our new updated website. Uh, it's like Netflix, but you don't have to pay for it. All the all the episodes are there. You can scroll across all the different programs, rookmedia.com, where you can also become a uh, subscriber uh, and a patron of our show. For um, We crowdsource how we do things here. So for uh, 5 bucks, 10 bucks, 25 bucks a month, you can become a patron uh, of Rook. Just go to the support us button at rookmedia.com. Let's get to our feature guest, Saibi Roham, Captain Reza, Gubishaya, and the fabulous Keon. See you on the other side. If you plan to visit Dubai these days, you may want to make sure you don't miss a groundbreaking new cabaret show, dinner and theater in the old European burlesque tradition, but updated and with a Middle Eastern style, you might say. It's called Papillon. And the star of the show happens to also be the creator and producer of the whole project. She's an Iranian-Australian singer, songwriter, dancer, and creative force named Leila Cardon. She also happens to be a recording artist. Take a listen to this. She ebbs and flows, knows exactly where to go, can make it through it all. She's her own, never silent, lays it all out, breaks the quiet, held down now she grows tall. She'll never lose what she's been through. She feels Goddess is real Yes, a little taste of the song Goddess Released not too long ago Written and recorded by my future guest today Leila Cardon Leila was born in Belgium and raised in Sydney, Australia, she dutifully got her BA in economics and her master's in international trading and worked in the corporate world until she decided to pursue her dream of being an artist. Layla established herself as a recording artist independently and released her first album, Saved, in 2018. Layla writes about love, life, and personal encounters. She celebrates her Iranian background by using Persian instruments in her music and adopting Middle Eastern elements in her videos. She also considers herself a global citizen with a mission to break regional stereotypes and push boundaries. And that's where her dazzling new cabaret comes in. She recently opened Papillon 
in Dubai, a dinner theater experience that includes song, provocative dance routines, and thoughtful and thought-provoking performances designed by the award-winning choreographer Denise Fay, along with French Mediterranean cuisine. And right now, Leila Cardon joins me from Dubai, UAE. Hello. Hello, Jian Jian. How are you? I'm very happy to talk to you. I, listen, I know how busy you are with running the show, performing in it, overseeing the whole operation. Thank you for making the time to do this. I also know you just got married on top of all that. So we really appreciate you coming on the program. Thank you so much for having me. And what a generous and beautiful introduction that was. You know, it's funny when it comes to you. I, I, a friend introduced us uh, a while back, and uh, when I first, the first message I left you, I was speaking in Persian, and I was apologizing in Persian, saying, you know, sorry, my Persian isn't the ideal. You know, uh, uh, I hope you'll understand <laughs> that you left a message back saying, uh, no, English is great. I, I, I'm actually more comfortable in English, and I, because I had just heard this Persian singer Leila Cardon, I, I didn't know you're also a kid of the diaspora. I. Um, indeed, and actually, I'm always embarrassed when I do interviews in Farsi because, whilst I'm very proud of my my heritage and my Iranian um, culture and everything that you know has influenced me, uh, regrettably, my Farsi is not the strongest. I never lived in Iran. I've lived outside all my life, and I have three sisters, and we all speak English. And my parents, as much as they try, we've always just spoken English at home and so I struggle and I always feel like I don't have a grasp on the vocabulary and I can't express myself and I just feel like a bit of a dummy so when you said that the interview is in English and that you know you 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 prefer to speak English I was more comfortable <laughs> as well so happy I, I hear you. Happy sister. that we're having this interview in English. <laughs> I hear you on all of that, and it's somehow heartwarming. It's, a, it's a, like the first time I was interviewing Airfon too, and I hadn't uh, I hadn't met him or gotten to know him yet, and 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 I thought, oh, he's this Persian rapper guy who's like super Iduni, and then it turns out he's like a kid from California, you know. <laughs> You're so like, but by the way, Airfon's Farsi. He's like. He speaks Shakespearean. I know, I know, like, I know. He's so eloquent. But to be fair to us, he, he, and English. But he grew up there. To be fair to us, I yes, mean, he spent he some did. time yeah. there. So, um, well, and he's also a wordsmith, right? I mean, right. that's what he does. Yeah, right. You grew up dancing and performing in theater productions, but didn't think you would or could have a career as an artist. You were in the corporate world for a decade. What was the turning point for you? Um, you know, I think it we all go through the kind of um when we're coming into our skin as like young adults you want to please your parents and do what's right or what's perceived as right in society i always wanted to be a singer i had it so it was so much in my heart but i felt that i never really had the tools or the encouragement or the support to take it forward um ha even though i had grew up on stage i mean i played the piano i i was a classical ballerina for 12 well actually 13 years um i performed as you know the the lead in a lot of theater productions but when it came to singing my father was very much against it so you know i took the safe route and pleased the parents and everyone else in society until I got to a point in my life where I realized that, you know, if I don't live a life of truth and if I don't pursue what really makes me happy, then I'm going to live a life of regret and 
great unhappiness and you know i'll be dissatisfied and i really think of life as such a beautiful gift and an opportunity to share and serve and do all the things that you love and i think passion is a big driver i mean it is certainly for me and if i'm not passionate about what i'm doing then i'm kind of feeling dead on the inside mm. so it really got to a point where i wasn't happy and i was a bit numb and you know life circumstances made me feel like i was definitely not headed in the right path and um what was your it, corporate gig i was working in strategy i mean like i worked in different jobs but um my background was um business development marketing and strategy so i worked across different industries let me guess you were probably good at your job too right yeah it was just, great actually yeah, and yeah. i was making a lot of money so like by taking the leap of going into something so unknown where i had had no formal vocal training and i had no support and i didn't know what i was going to do but all i knew was that if i didn't do this i would suffocate on music that was in in my heart and words mm. that were in my heart and poetry that were in, that was in my heart and i would die because i would just like so feeling stifled and if i didn't take that you know plunge and and explore then i would always regret it and so you know i was kind of like you know do or die situation not that I was dying, but you know right, that's a bit dramatic. Right, right. But I am an artist, so you know how it is. When, when, but when, Layla, when you talk about going against social expectations, societal expectations, and family expectations to independently establish yourself as a performer and a recording artist, especially in a region like the Middle East, was the societal expectation part harder or the parental pressure? I mean, my my mom's cool. If I had insisted that i wanted to pursue a, a career in music she she probably would have been happy for me and but it was more the pressure i had put on myself to be a good daughter and you know an exemplary young girl because of this like i don't i mean it's not really i don't know where it came from but in my mind my when well, my father used to say it and everyone else used to say like you know good girls are not entertainers and a girl from your background and your you know family standing doesn't entertain people mm. so it was kind of like for me in my mind i had been brainwashed to believe that if i was an entertainer i would be um i would be less than and i didn't want to be i wanted to be strong and powerful until i came to my senses and understood well like if you have a gift of music and poetry, then you have actually so much more influence than mm. just doing strategy for a corporation, which, by the way, is also a very respectable um, job. But sure. I just felt yeah. like with what I had to say, I would have more reach as an artist than I would working in a corporation. When you talk about shedding, this is to quote you, shedding some of your conditioning as a Middle Eastern woman to explore your artistry, uh, tell me more about that. What 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 do you think of when you think about the, the conditioning of a Middle Eastern woman? You know, I'm I come from a very progressive family, and I come from a very open-minded family, and you know, my parents are both European educated. It's not like they're 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 so like Shari, they're so Iranian that they don't 
I'm not trying to say that I grew up in a in such a um, in a family where I was so held back. Right. But um, you know, there's a lot of this subliminal stuff where it's like, oh. Like you have to um, be sure to behave in a certain way and, you know, you shouldn't um, be provocative and you shouldn't be sensual and you shouldn't be, you know, it's giving off the wrong message. And, and like, so, and I grew up in a family where like etiquette, maybe it wasn't like religious beliefs or anything, but it was a lot of etiquette was imposed on us and how you should behave as a young lady and how you should speak and when you should speak and all of these things. So, um, and also like, you know, just generally, like as a Middle Eastern woman, we all know that, you know, it's not encouraged for women to be performers. It's not encouraged for them to be actors or singers or dancers at all because of the perception of what those careers kind of stand for, the things that go along with them being you know quote unquote dirty industries which i'm not saying is true or not true but mm. i mean everything in life is a choice right i mean you can be in a dirty industry if you're in banking but um just that whole perception of what comes along with being an entertainer and then also things like you know like a good girl gets married and you know um at a certain age and then has a family and tends to her family and you know best for her not to work and stay home with the family and like all of this sort of stereotypical ideal ideals of a woman mm. which like you know and i all due respect I, I have sisters who have chosen that path and i hats off to them i think they're amazing and they're doing an amazing job and their children are amazing and the family unit is strong and i think it's great but i don't think that it should be on, imposed on everyone um so it took me a long time to say like okay it doesn't mean that i'm a bad person or a um you know like a, a bad girl or what, however you want to say it if i pursue a career in music and mm. be an entertainer mm. even if till today i still sense sometimes there is general disrespect towards me when i perform um mainly for middle eastern people not from from western people at all i still stand true that it's like i'm so much more complete as a person and so free and i'm trying to break these uh, you know conven conventional ideals for a woman by being a performer and also being smart and being a businesswoman and being you know a multitude of things just because i'm a singer it doesn't mean that i can't be a mother and i can't be mm -hmm. you know i can't tend to my children and i can't be a good wife and i can't you know um nurture my family i don't think it's you know, these things are exclusive of each other. So let me ask you, I mean, you know, you, uh, in terms of those expectations and those stereotypes, uh, it certainly is different in the Middle East from, uh, from the West or from a place like Australia where you grew up. What brought you to mm. Dubai? Why not stay in Australia? I know it's a good question, you know, because, um, but I mean, I didn't, when I moved to Dubai, I, I hadn't started my music career and I moved here because my father was here and I was actually en route to London. I wanted to explore music options there and just like study music and get some good vocal training. And, um, my father was living in Dubai at the time and I stopped over to see him and, and then, 
circumstances and his health made me stay in uh. Dubai. And then I started working and I was working here. And, you know, if you're going to wait to like move to LA or Australia where it's more progressive and people have these an open mind towards like females being a singer or whatever, well, then it would have never have happened, mm. you know, just because I think like, especially now in this digital age, you don't have to be in those places right. to make it happen. And actually, I'm very happy that I launched my music career in Dubai, even with all of the hardship that I had to go through with, you know, this people's opinions and family objections and all of that. I had such a, a, first of all, I was in the right place at the right time, you know, as a Middle Eastern looking girl, but, you know, singing in English without right, an accent. Right, you know, right. I, got, I got to do a lot of jobs here and I got the support of all the major publications from Vogue to Harper's Bazaar to GQ. And, and you know, they'd book me at their big fashion events. And, I, you know, it was great for me because I, I believe that if I was in L.A., I wouldn't have the same opportunities or even in Australia. Um, so... You know, uh, yeah, it's a good question. If I'm Australian, I could have stayed there and, and done it. But I was here and my life was here. So, right. I mean, uprooting myself didn't make sense. So it, it's groundbreaking enough to, I mean, in the context of everything you've talked about, to be a, this uh, independent recording artist and to be doing these fashion events and all that you were doing. It's next level to start this cabaret. Let, let's talk about Papillon, your cabaret, which I had the, the great fortune of being able to see last month in in uh, Dubai. It, it's most definitely in sync with your mission of wanting to break stereotypes and generalizations in the Middle East and about Middle Eastern women. What was the precipitant? You're, here you are, this recording artist. You don't have to do this cabaret. What, what was the precipitant for you wanting to do this? I've always wanted to do it from a young age because of my love for theater and my love for the stage. And you know, when COVID happened, a lot of my performance opportunities were gone. And that's where I was, you know, making my money as an artist, live performances. And I realized, you know, how fickle you can be as an artist. And I just wanted to diversify my um, offering as an artist and also be able to express myself through different mediums. And I had this opportunity where I was approached by the Western Hotel and they mentioned that, you know, there was like a space that they wanted me to take over and make a jazz club. And whilst I'm the biggest fan of jazz, I just felt like it would be better to do um, kind of like a dinner show with a cabaret. And so, you know, it's been something I've always wanted and loved and dreamed of doing. Um, the part where I was trying to break boundaries wasn't really like an intentional thing i guess it's always somewhere in you know my psyche i'm always trying to do things that are a bit risque and different but when it came to the cabaret i just really wanted to it was an ode to old cabaret yes with a fresh take and a sort of modern delivery of certain numbers and i wanted to just you know express myself in this way and you know, like surprisingly, Dubai, where the cabaret is and where I live, has become a lot more open. Um, and so it is seems like I'm really pushing the boundaries and I am, but also like they've become a lot more open 
and people are very receptive because also, if I may say so, the art that we put on the stage is not vulgar. It is risque, but it's artistic. And the dancers that I've so carefully hand-selected are all characters and they're artists and none of the girls that I have on stage are dolly girls, even if they dance sexy and risque. They have personality. Absolutely. Let me get mm. to the content. I want to take two steps back because mm. you're right. It's it's certainly not vulgar, and it's certainly. I mean, even by Western standards, it's not even that provocative. But it is bold. No, it's a bold. It's not just bold in terms of the content for Dubai, but bold that you thought you could do all of this. I mean, they, to, to create something that had not been done in the UAE, creating a new cabaret, a theater show, a business, but also to do so whilst engaging in potentially taboo or frowned upon ideas and practices in a Muslim country. That's a whole other level of pressure. Did you feel trepidation about going ahead with this? Did you think, oh boy? No, what am- no. I did think that maybe some where along the line I'm going to get a slap on the wrist, but I wasn't nervous or worried at all because I really believe in what I'm doing and I went forward with full conviction. I feel like fear and guilt are the biggest waste of emotion and um, I didn't put any focus into that. Even if I had a hint of it in my subconscious, I just blocked it out because... I think that when you focus on those things, you attract it. And I really think that the region's ready. Did anybody um, try and dissuade you? Did anybody say, as is Amdigir, I don't think this is a good idea, you know? <laughs> um, people always try to, but I'm very hard-headed. And I I had great support from my partner, who's, um, you know, my business partner, but also my fiancé, who we created this brand together from scratch. We... Um, created from the name to the branding and you know I think as a woman when you have this I mean despite the fact that I'm a very strong woman you know any kind of entrepreneurial activity takes a lot of grit and gumption and like sorry for the expression but balls you know Mm. and I had all the grit and everything and the, the the work ethic but I I also had a backbone which was my fiance who's really strong in the F&B space. He has other places. So it was like, you the, know, the we F&B were space? really working. What's that? Sorry, he has um, F&B, food and beverage. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so he has restaurants because we developed everything. It wasn't just the stage. We developed the restaurant elements, the menu. Um, well, this, and, let me yeah. ask you, I mean, you, 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 first of all, I should mention, I should just note that Papillon opened its doors, as you say, at the Westin Dubai Beach Resort and Marina in November, just a few months ago. You, and you wanted this to be, uh, as you've just been beginning to describe, a multi-sensory experience. Um, hmm. t- t- tell me what that means, multi-sensory. So I, you know, I think there's a lot of places where you go where you have a dining experience. I mean, especially in Dubai now with COVID and like not having the clubs so that a lot of people as an afterthought will just put like a live music set up, but then it doesn't match the cuisine and the venue and the sound is poor and it it doesn't really like, you're not immersed. So the space that we've designed and the designer is actually an Iranian designer. His name is uh, Roham Shamer. He's amazing. He designed, I always like to work with Iranians, um, he designed the space and uh, it's like 
it's kind of it's you know it's um it's a warm intimate space so you're not distracted by any outside sounds we've hand selected the music playlist which is very cabaret at the beginning and then goes into a disco vibe mm-hmm. the food is a fine french mediterranean cuisine which matches what you see on stage the dancers are on stage but they also come through the audience as well so it's a really beautiful space extremely yeah. high ceilings uh and and just a, it's a, a a very chic i guess nobody would expect anything different in dubai next to the west in there but um but you know it, it it's clear that you kind of went all out i mean your head chef brought his team over from a michelin star restaurant in taipei you're working with an internationally acclaimed choreographer denise Fay. i mentioned there's this mm-hmm. sense that you really didn't want to do this in a any kind of half-ass way <laughs> but that also raises the stakes right like you you know you're investing a lot in something that is new without even knowing that it's going to work i mean now you do but when when before you launched right i mean there's obviously risk in everything you do in life, but I, I've i been in the performance space a long time here. I have a following. Um, we have great partners with the Western. Like The support that we have from them is great. Um, we've done our due diligence. I mean, Dubai is a very transient place. We're in a hotel which has, you know, like in the vicinity of where we are, it's got two other, sorry, three now neighboring hotels with like four or 500 rooms. I mean, these are all, and we're in the marina attachment where we don't have a lot of competition in terms of a cabaret space. Um, So, you know, these things we take into consideration. Obviously, we don't go in just blindsided with our blinkers on thinking we're going to win. But of course, in business, there's always risks. And we also considered all of those risks and were careful in our um, projections. So we're not worried at all. And we've had amazing reviews. And before we even opened our doors, Valentino took the space for a private event. Um, because of you know the caliber of what we've brought to the market, there's a lot of other venues you know that we could call our competitors but you know we have another vogue event coming up and these things are all testament to you know what we've built as a group i mean not me individually everyone who's who's been involved um is that you know there is space in the market for something slightly more refined than what's already out there because there's a lot in dubai but there's not a lot where you go and you feel an emotion it's like always just such a party vibe and like people like myself they don't really enjoy that anymore so it's either you do dinners at home or dinners and then we never go to the kind of theater spaces or mm, i don't know whatever you might call them cabarets because we don't like the level of entertainment there what were you in, ter- in terms of the 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 risque or the burlesque or whatever uh, mm-hmm. elements of the content? What what were you expecting the reaction to the cabaret to be, and what has surprised you about reactions you've received? <laughs> Honestly, like some of the numbers, I was thinking to myself at times. I'm like, you know, you said that. You know, were you scared? As a joke to myself, I'd be like, oh my god, I think I'm going to go to jail, but. 
the response has been great. We've had a lot of like um, Emiratis and Middle Eastern people come through and be so, you know, it's titillating. It's like exciting and people like it because um, it's a kind of escapism momentarily. And again, as I, I repeat, it's not vulgar or grotesque. So it's not like, you know, there is a shock value, but not in a way that is like disgusting or you feel you know it's dirty the place you're in it's everyone comes and says like wow the level of um uh, performers that you have that is such a high caliber of performers they're incredible and you know the music selection and and obviously that's got a lot to do with denise Faye's execution of the vision that i had and she's been amazing you know she's i mean her caliber she's worked on some of the best cabaret the best cabaret films like burlesque and nine and chicago and so you know we weren't short of the tools to you know create something beautiful so the general feedback has been wow this is amazing and we don't feel like we're in dubai it's it's progressive in in different ways too. I mean, um, you're there singing in in, in uh, three or four of the pieces. Uh, there's these dance moments. There's moments, as you say, that involve the audience. Uh, one of the pieces that I really liked in the cabaret um, that pushes buttons in a different way is two men dancing, and it's it's quite homoerotic. I mean, it's this this beautiful dance they're doing with each other. So it's um. Tell me about the curating of those uh, the, those scenes, those the decisions around making that kind of content. So, well, that was kind of by accident. I'm not going to say that there was any intention, but those two are brothers. And, you know, in tango, it's actually quite common for two men to dance together. Mm. And it doesn't have any um, connotation or anything. It doesn't insinuate anything. It's just two men dancing together. Um, and their brothers, as I mentioned. So it was just that, you know, he was here in town and he's an incredible performer and we wanted to have him on stage. So we worked a number where they could really, because, I mean, tango is one of the hardest dance forms. And it's not something that just, though our dancers are so skilled and amazing, it's not just something that anyone could pick up, like, it's a specialized dance form. Sure, so yeah. the fact that those two could do it together, but yeah, I also do like that. There's a, like a, you know, this freedom, why should it always be a man and a woman dancing mm -hmm. together? Mm -hmm. Or I have a scene at the beginning where there's two girls playing on the couch together in a really playful, yes. you know, essential, but playful, innocent way. It's funny that you should say they're brothers. I thought it was quite suggestive, but maybe I was drawing my own, uh, I don't know, uh, I mean, conclusion. look, it, I guess it would make sense that it's suggestive because there's a lot of scenes that you, you know, you're like, oh, did that just happen? What does that mean? And so it might seem that that was intentional. It wasn't, but I, I do like the message that it mm -hmm. gives because it adds to my message of freedom and breaking boundaries and stereotypes. Leila, it was packed when I was there in January. And you've said that it's sold out every night. I mean, how are people finding out about this so early in your run? I guess you've had a lot of good press. Uh, is that it? Or uh, how is the word getting around? It's press and social media. And we don't do a lot of 
marketing. A lot of it's just word of mouth. And we like it that way because we want the type of people that are going to come that who appreciate the arts. And typically our audience is mature and um, cultured and refined. And refined enough to understand that when these artists who put so much energy and work into their craft are performing on stage, they pay attention. And I'm always really proud of when the Iranians come because like by far they are the most uh, polite audience and the most <laughs> gracious audience. Really? And I always tell, because my, my fiance is not Iranian and I always tell him, you see how Iranians are so cultured and like wonderful and so polite and they always give respect and they clap and they're listening and watching intently and, He's like, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> he's look he, at your he, people. <laughs> he's Iraqi, right? He's Iraqi, yeah. yeah. So, but he he always laughs. I mean, he he's he's a big fan of Iranians. So, I mean, and um, it doesn't for me, it doesn't matter where a person's from. It's who they are and what they represent. But, um, yeah, I'm always really proud when the Iranians come. A because, you know, I appreciate them so much and they're always so supportive of every endeavor and they always tell me we're proud of you and this this is like my my support system and my family and i feel stronger when they're there you know and then um and of course to see how gracious they are as an audience is you know i'm always proud hmm. that's nice to hear i've, I've certainly heard about um, iranians traveling that aren't polite so it's nice to it's nice to but I guess that's in Thailand I or mean, somewhere there's else. There's types, right? <laughs> yeah. But like I said, we have a certain type that comes to our show. They're not the types that like want to get really rowdy and crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not just talking about Iranians, but just in general, you know, these are kind of you know artistic, cultured people yeah, that want to have a it's a nice really, night out. It's a really nice. Uh, uh, it's it's it's. I mean, the the vibe kind of helps with that. It's an elegant vibe. Uh, it's it's such a pleasure talking to you. You know, it it, it occurs to me that, um, I mean, yes, uh, those Iranians are right to be proud of you. It's 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 amazing what you've done in such a short period of time with creating this thing. But it also occurs to me that it's um, it's quite an investment in terms of. Uh, grounding you to need to be there in Dubai running this cabaret. What is your long-term plan with this? I'm assuming that you're expecting that you're going to need to be there in the coming years. Of course. I mean, like any business, you have to pay attention, but I don't have to be on stage um, all the time. I think the audience might get sick of seeing me <laughs> every season. So I'm like even just replacing myself from this week for a few months and then I'll come back on the stage and I'll still do a jazz night like I'm introducing a jazz night with my incredible mu live musicians and um, the, the plan is to take it international I mean I think we've built a strong um, brand I think it takes time but I mean once we get the business model right here what we're looking to do is you know open um in different parts of the world like namely canada <laughs> hamdan my fiance um studied there and he spent a lot of years there and he loves toronto so um it would be there great and I'm it would be great here right it would be really good yeah why not yeah absolutely yeah 
and and Sydney, um, where I'm from, and I grew up. I think there's a big gap in the market for such an offering, and I don't know why, but I'm Shanghai is calling me. But you know, these are the long term plans, and I think at the moment we just want to focus on on building this brand more and um, making it uh, making it a you know a a local success and then hopefully taking it outside and you know i i have always had a dream that somehow i remember i went to the bat um, to the opera house and i saw the georgian ballet who was just mind-blowingly beautiful i remember watching them thinking wow they're such beautiful dancers and their costumes are great and the storytelling was great and it made me sad that we don't have anything as iranians like a dancing a traveling dance with all of the beauty that we have to offer we don't have anything to offer the mm. west mm. in terms of like a visual display of all our beautiful stories and urban myths and you know like our tales and dance and costumes and i remember i spoke to a friend who lives in paris i was like we need to do this we need to create this so that's part of my long-term plan as well is you know to create something beautiful for the stage um that would be a nice depiction of iranian history and dance and fashion and tribal fabrics and things like that so that's something i'll be working towards in the next uh, five to ten years Leila cardon it's a uh, it's so nice to talk to you again um congratulations on all that you've done and um uh, big support to you on on continuing to build this and and take it international i i'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this who if they're if not already in dubai are, are looking forward to visiting and seeing your cabaret when they're there thanks so much for your time thank you and thank you for all that you do and this you know light that you shed on the iranians and i think you know we've as a diaspora it's so nice to have like a connection even though you're on the other side of the globe and you know big props to you for all that you're doing and hats off to you and thank you thank you thank you thanks Leila John. bye-bye mm-hmm. take care bye Leila Cardon, an Iranian-Australian singer, songwriter, dancer, and creative force, and the founder of the new Papillon Cabaret in Dubai, Leila Cardon joined us from the UAE today. Microphone's back on for Groovy Shia, the fabulous Keon, and Captain Reza. Yes, sir. Leila Cardona. Ah. Thoughts? It was, uh, she's great. It's amazing. But the restaurant, did you, have you been to a restaurant? To the, to the cabaret? To the, sorry, to the, to the cab, sorry. <laughs> Spent an hour talking to Leah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you been to the uh, snack, uh, snack bar? That joint, the? you know. The <laughs> 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 Have you been to the food truck? The, uh, <laughs> um, it's a cabaret. Excuse uh, me. It's a dinner theater. How dare you, sir? How, How dare you? you? How the fucking show here? Have you been to this fast, fast food place? <laughs> um, <laughs> Yes, I went to, as I explained in yes. the interview, yes, I uh, and before it. Uh, yeah. uh, what I, I wanted to ask was that uh, it, 
because I know how you are with atmosphere in yes. re- at restaurants and stuff. I think that you m- it must have really made an impression on you because I know you it was very cool. It's very music. cool. Actually, they've done a really great job of. You heard her talk about it's next to the Westin mm-hmm. Hotel, mm-hmm. which is a very nice hotel mm-hmm. in uh, in in Dubai, but it, also a very traditional, like you know, nice ornate kind of hotel. This place, though, Papillon, that's sort of connected to it. As soon as you walk in, you're transported into a like the the vibe in there is really really well done uh, as i said really high ceilings black curtains everywhere real kind of opium den kind of vibes cabaret vibe like it's got a it really it, it really is and it and it is chic and she has this um dj playing the whole time like before uh, uh the cabaret begins and in between there's a number of like the acts come up there's different sort of moments and then mm. there's a 10 minute break and you're sort of eating your food and, t- and then and, and it's very well crafted it seems like yeah well yeah it's no it's really it's it's i mean for sure if you're going to dubai why not see this i, th- mm. I think that's i think it's i thought it was very interesting when she said that the iranian audiences are the polite ones that's in, yeah yeah, that, that was surprising because I thought there would be because you said in Thailand. It's still yeah. well, I was, I was thinking, of, it's so I was thinking Iranians I've seen China. anywhere else. Yeah. They don't seem that polite, yeah. sadly. Wow, but. they get kicked out out of every all places. Yeah, it was interesting. She said they're polite. Back then, when I was in Thailand, two thousand and six. Back to oh, back to Reza's oh, story. Let's no, hear all about it. They hired the me. Enough, Leila yeah, Cardon. Yeah, yeah. let's go that. back to you. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Reza. Guys. They gave, I got it. I had this gig. They gave me a job at oh, uh, no. Disco Tony. I still what did remember you have what it was to called. Do? Disco oh, Tony. Yeah. I went there. Yeah. The, the Persian Tony. Disco. The it, Persian, Persian disco, disco now. Yeah, yeah. Back then it was okay. like it wasn't. Back then they didn't really let Persians in, and that's why they hired me. Because I was the one like I would dye my hair and like just my eyebrows and would wear contacts and stuff. And I spoke a little bit of English. And I would look up. What with, color like, would you dye your hair? Uh, bleach. White, like bleach it. Like really? Bleach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like oh, blue. Let's see pictures of this. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'll show you pictures. You was be, that the Slim Shady era? That was the Slim Shady, Shady era. Yeah, yeah, those early 2000s. And then what? The, what? What I was doing? Like I had like piercings, my eyebrows, like my ears and stuff. <laughs> and I would, and I had like pr- Russian girlfriends. So I would walk into the club with them, and I would like fool these guys. Until like somebody rat me out and then they banned me from the club. But Tony, <laughs> that guy because was they it. found out you're Persian. Yeah, because okay. per, But you worked pay. there. Th- then you worked there after. So or right yeah, before? what happened was is uh. Persians, Indians, like uh, anybody who was not white, gotta pay the int- uh, an entrance fee, right? So I wasn't paying that. I was just skipping it. When they found out, Tony, <laughs> instead of like, why did you want to go to this place? It's hot. Like, there's yeah. so many cool people there. Uh, drinks. Like, there's free uh, snacks, and that's why I love Reza because he is he is really the like Persian stereotype guy that we, you know, so. <laughs> Uh, the brown people want to get in, yes. but have to pay. The have white to people pay because they don't buy drinks and snacks are free. I, so. I've seen that place. I think it, is it a chain now or something? It it, it became a chain, but and now I it's always wonder down. what it's like. It's called the Persian Disco or something. Right now it's Persian Disco. Yeah. I don't know about now. I'm talking about back 2006, okay. 2005. I'm talking about. Like, this is a long time ago. But then the guy Tony, I remember he was like he's is uh, Tony Persian. No, Tony is half American, half Thai. He's okay. a kickboxer. He's got several gyms. Big ass mafia in Pattaya. Like that was guy was okay, scary. Yeah. I remember. Like he took, me, they took me to him. They were like, hey, "This guy, he's been skipping." It's like, 
so yeah, you owe me a thousand dollars. I'm like a thousand dollars. Like I didn't have like a penny to my name. And then he was like, No, you can work for. You me. had enough money to bleach your hair. No, but I worked for him. He hired me to spot Persians. We had an interview earlier, right? Like I'm just I know. Just I was just going to apologize to Leila yeah, Cardone. What? <laughs> <laughs> Went on But wait a second. Sorry. Wait, that, what was your job now, at that point? Now I'm involved in the story. <laughs> so you, yes. your job was to, to identify Persians? Persians so that they can't get in. They have to pay insurance. <laughs> oh, my God. And you didn't feel bad about doing that? I was 17. I needed oh. the money, and I would get into the club for free. I was stupid. <laughs> so you would, you would say... You, what would happen if you saw a Persian? I, I would saw a Persian. I'd be like, <laughs> come here. Because I spoke English. They didn't know. Iranians didn't know I was Persian. I, had uh. blue, like, I would put contacts oh and bleach gosh. my hair, right? So they didn't know. They would just see this kid like over there like spotting them like one after another. They'd be like, out, out, out. You got to pay. And then like, oh my God, there were these guys with like socks all the way up to their ankle, like their ankle and like sandals. They'd be like, we are not Persian. I'm like, Amu, <laughs> <laughs> you got to pay that 30 bucks. You know, That's it's so, it's so interesting that uh, now, now I, I was in Bangkok once going, going to a dance club mm-hmm. with two friends and, and they at uh, first were not going to let me in mm-hmm. and then they said where are you from and I said Canada mm-hmm. and they said show your identification and when I showed that I'm from in. Canada then they let me in yeah. so before it? before that they if I th- if they thought I was like just a you know from Iran or Middle Eastern guy or whatever they yeah. Yeah. can I understand why it's the image you have around the like they <laughs> I'm serious it goes you know, it go, comes back full circle man I swear to god like, like what is it what, what do they have against Iranians out of curiosity Well they steal uh they oh. don't pay entrance fees they don't buy drinks they like get hammered at home drink their own alcohol oh. and then they go to the club they buy like one beer maybe not even and then they cause fights, arguments, stuff like that. That's what I had to deal with. That's the those times. are the stereotypes. That's, those are the yeah, stereotypes. Yeah. That's clarify for me. Yeah. <laughs> Not, you, you realize you're Iranian, Persians right? who are unsubscribing. Yes. I don't care how much you bleach your hair, pal. You're right. No, this was Thailand, guys. This was over there back yeah, then. Yeah, but, but I lived in Thailand for two years. And there is also, you can find a community that they don't think Persian as a, like that, yeah. what you describe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But but <laughs> but I remember. <laughs> but I remember you didn't allow me to come into the Tony. <laughs> <laughs> you re- you remember a guy with dyed hair yeah, who yeah, was yeah. Uh, yeah, but ratted actually, you, you out? You know what's yeah. funny? We do actually. Uh, we've lived in Thailand at the same time. Really? Wow. We didn't even know. And you so. never crossed paths. No. no. Would you live in Thailand? I, I was in Bangkok. You were in Bangkok. I was in Pattaya. Would you live in Bangkok again? Of course. Oh, you would. Oh, hundred. Well, why? why are you here? Yeah, I mean, first of all, there is a community here, and so. But yes, I love Thailand. Wow. I loved. I think uh, I I might go there like. To live. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To live. Yeah. Mm. Such happy. Anyway, um, we had a guest yeah, named Layla Cardon on right. the show. Yeah. We really did. <laughs> <laughs> I completely. Oh it was erased. Uh, my apologies. Did you, Reza just did you go to the restaurant? <laughs> what? What? It's the Tylenol. I swear to God. Uh, yeah, that's right. Reza's feeling. You sick, realize we're it? not your therapist, right? Like, you Listen. don't come here for therapy. Akia, uh, what did you make of Leila uh, Cardon? I, I bet you want to go to the cabaret when you go to the I Dubai, really do, right? actually. Yeah. I'm going to make yeah. it a point to go there. Um, I just wanted to say how much respect I have for her. To, I know how it is to have a comfortable, cushy corporate job. To have the guts to leave that and do something completely uncharted and go against your family's thoughts and wishes, it, it's, yeah. it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. And it's a thing that 
a lot of Persians face. Like a lot of our guests talk about this. It's it takes a lot of guts. She's very um, impressively confident. Yeah, she's like, no, nope, you know, I'm, this is what it. I'm going to do, and I did it. And uh, I think that's, I mean, that's pretty cool, yes. Shia. Yes, you know, especially because we we so often hear the inverse: the artist mm-hmm. who who can't express that ends up becoming an engineer or, or mm-hmm. living the corporate life because yeah. it's you know ultimately safer more security more job security more mm-hmm. more uh, and your parents are happier and whatever yeah uh, again this interview has another sad layer sad, sad layer yeah. yeah and which is that i remember you mentioned a couple times like in previous episode that when you were five years old and you were taken to Iran. Iran, yeah, yeah. They 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 took you to Kabul. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Tehran, yeah. Tehran, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, always I have this in pre-revolution. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. this cover should be in Tehran, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah. a sad story. Maybe one day. Well, it's so, not even even for Dubai. It's pretty racy. Right. You know, it's pretty. Right. It's pretty. Uh, she's pushing the boundaries uh, yeah. for for. For Dubai, because this kind uh, of thing is not allowed there, right? Like red light. No, and, and, and it's yeah. I mean, look, it's not a red <laughs> light. Not district. the red no, light. What district. I'm saying is that like they don't Jesus. have <laughs> any no, other oh disrespectful uh, restaurant. <laughs> the one with the prostitutes. It's not at all. It's not at all like that. But it is. It is very. You know, it's it's provocative. It's a yeah. burlesque. It's mm-hmm. a, uh, very tastefully done, as she said. It's not. You know, but. Um, but I, I I get the sense based on uh, what I read about her this the whole creation that it is it is anomalous for Dubai. It's a, it's a very new and edgy thing for for the UAE. Yeah. Uh, and um, so I mean for Iran it would be you know oh, unthinkable <laughs> right. Yeah, but uh, um, yeah, that is yeah. sad. That is yeah. sad, Chaya. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. But there is stuff like that in Istanbul though. Like Calvary's yeah. in Istanbul. Randomly <laughs> talking about Istanbul. <laughs> no, no, it's just sad. No. Like Iran That's is in the middle. How much, like, what medication did you take exactly? I think I took Tylenol <laughs> 3 by mistake, and I'm not even joking. At first, I thought I took regular <laughs> Tylenol. Should I just mute his mic? From, <laughs> yeah. I think you're it might actually have been Tylenol 3, but I things swear, are amazing I, every right time, now. Like, I have known this guy for years now. I didn't know the story about the being a bouncer with like blonde hair. I like, don't even know why lady? I said it on air. I, it's such an embarrassing I mean, story. This is a, uh, the things you've done. Hey, you had to kick out your own people. Yeah. That's I so shameful. Swear to God, His this job is was to free. like send the Iranians to the. <laughs> like, I mean, no, like, I didn't send them anywhere. They just had to pay like, like forty bucks. Hitler's like the sidekick. <laughs> pick out the Iranians. <laughs> but you, you know what? You are a very worldly guy. Like you are a guy. No, no, you are a guy. If by who, worldly, you mean he's been in every country's jail? Then yeah, absolutely. Nobody's street. He is a street smart guy. Like he, he kind of yeah. he has a sense of the world, and this is why, right? Yeah. Because he's like, like in London. I don't even. He's, I don't remember exactly what he was trying to get me to like haggle with the cab driver oh or something. I was like, God. where does this come from? I get it now. I love the idea that Ch- that uh, Reza wouldn't let Shia into the <laughs> dance club <laughs> in, in If that Thailand. actually had happened, it would have <laughs> been crazy. All right, let's talk about what's going on in the world.
Okay, well, before we end the show today, uh, as I said earlier, let's have a little bit of a chat about um, Ukraine. Uh, just to mention uh, Ukraine and, and to mention the Ukrainian people who are in our thoughts, obviously it's a devastating situation. We talked about it last week and talked about what we can possibly add to the discourse uh, other than utter support and solidarity with the uh, the Ukrainian people. The whole thing is 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 kind of surreal in its horror. It's such a classic tale of this unhinged strongman dictator waging war on an innocent nation. But it would probably seem less outlandish if we had not seen this type of thing before, especially as people who come from the Middle East. The idea of a an imperial power attacking with the intention of uh, intention of annexing or disabling an entire country is not new. That's what we were talking about last week, how people of Iranian descent, um, including you guys, were talking about this, uh, you know, in, term, in terms of your own experiences or PTSD, have an empathy. Iranians feel an empathy for Ukrainians right now because the whole tragic experience of war and lives lost and bombs uh, and civilians, is, it's simply not that removed from the lives Iranians have had to live in recent decades. It also, however, the Iranian experience leads to some interesting discourse for people of Iranian descent. This this weekend, I had a, a couple of debates with some Iranian folks about how we are to feel about actions being taken against Russia by the rest of the world. Um, actions that are, of course, intended to punish Putin, but also, or perhaps even moreover, hurt the Russian people. So because this is something that we've often debated and we always debate when it comes to, for example, sanctions uh, and sanctions that are in place uh, on Iran. Uh, we have this argument, you know, are sanctions, do sanctions really send a message to the regime or do they end up hurting the people? And a lot of us, um, some of us oppose sanctions for those reasons. Some people like sanctions because of that. And I feel like for the Iranian community, it's not as clear cut, at least some of the Iranian community that I was debating this weekend, it's not as clear cut to sort of support the sanctions because uh, even against Russia, even at a time like this, because they've seen the effects of it. Mm. But there's something else at play right now on top of that, which is the banning of Russian sports teams or athletes in major competitions. We've seen this uh, this with FIFA, um, where organizations now are sort of saying, we're not gonna allow Russian teams to compete. We're not gonna allow Russian athletes. There was a Russian singer who was supposed to sing at the Met this weekend that they canceled. Uh, so this is a question that uh, has also come up in the Iranian community because um, there have been times, certainly when the regime in Iran has threatened to ban athletes, etc., cetera, uh, and there have been times when um, there's been some, some threat of we're going to ban Iranian athletes because of something that the regime in Iran uh, is or has done or, or stands for, and that issue has come up around whether we are to support this or not because ultimately what the Iranian athletes have to do with a regime that you oppose. So I thought I would just bring this up and put it to you guys. Um, I, I mean, you know, this is not an expert conversation, but just to, just to get your thoughts because it was a very interesting argument to have this weekend where I talked to a couple of folks who were really passionately opposed to this idea of banning these uh, Russian teams. Um, 
because they were kind of coming from it from a, an Iranian perspective and saying, well, would we want to be banned? You know, what do they have to do with the, the Russian leaders? What do we have against the Russian people? Uh, and I do find that in the West, more so than not, there's absolute support for any action that can be taken against Russia right now, mm. even if that includes banning athletes, et cetera. So it's an interesting question for, for people of Iranian descent. I think it's something of a, a bit more of a, a nuanced or a unique perspective. So um, Reza, your thoughts on this? Um, well, I look at it from this point of view. Um, I No, I wouldn't want like Iranian athletes to get banned. But at the same time, let's say if Iran, the government of Iran, unjustly decided to attack uh, Bahrain, I don't know, one of the uh, neighboring countries, attack it and claim it of one of its own, uh, I think it's I'm at war now. My country is at war. And putting sanctions on me as an individual, on my um, people that represent my country, uh, is part of the whole thing, is part of the war, is part of the the shenanigan. So, I, I, I mean, it's sad, it's terrible, but unfortunately it's fair game, because what is the ar- alternative? What I find the m- disconnect is, and I find it very fascinating, is the question that, it is the very question that's that being asked, like by a lot of people, like my mother was like, oh, why do the people have to pay the price? I'm like, well, it's a pressure tactic yes but what's funny is that they don't make that like that in that gets lost in the translation for some odd reason like they know that their target audience gets it which is putin and the the government of russia but the audience the actual audience that is observing this whole catastrophe taking place there's they're not they're not necessarily getting the information every like every piece of information that they should right you know? Although the argument is, does it really matter to Putin, you know, given that probably some of this was baked in, he knows mm-hmm. that if he invades Ukraine, who, you know, there's going to be sanctions, whatever. I mean, uh, uh, who who's really paying the price yeah. is is the question that comes up. And yet it seems almost immoral to oppose sanctions against Russia mm-hmm. right now because they're dropping bombs on Kiev, right? Like, what are you supposed to do? we got to do something, right? It's it? such a complex issue. It almost feels like you can only answer it with another question, you know? So uh, are we supposed to, um, if w- like, uh, yes or no, we were going to sanction Russia. Uh, well, if the answer is that if you don't, what if he takes over the entire Europe, you know? So it's again, it's another question. It's it's I I, I don't know. It's a very um, complex situation. You you're drawing a distinction though when you spoke of Iran between uh, a nation or a government or a regime that's waging a actively waging a war versus mm-hmm. a regime that we despise or we don't like or that that's people right. oppose. Let me. Uh, that's your that's the line for you. Yeah. Um, I wanted Roham in on this discussion because I know he's a big. Um, sports fan and uh i have i don't know what your perspective is on this rohan but what did you what do you think of like fifa saying russian teams can't participate in the lead up to the world cup for example uh, well i don't think it's the only resolution or the only decision they could have done but it's one of the best things they they could have done so i think you support it yeah why because it it gets some pressure into Russia and the government would get it as Reza said and probably gets people waking up so they know that if their government does something 
horrible like war, then they have to pay too. So they have to go against their government and say we don't need war. Because as I was watching the Russian cities, nobody was protesting for no war. Maybe some small Because they'll small be jailed. Groups. I mean, because they'll be... I know, it's like <clears throat> Iran. And I saw yesterday they are uh, checking people's phones for yeah. their tweets and everything. But people have to go against their governments. You see sometimes. this as a legitimate pressure tactic. Yeah. In short. Yeah. yeah. But do you, would you would you see it the same way if 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 it was against Iranian teams? If if we were like Reza said, if we were in war with some country, sure, yeah, why not? I see, and and nefarious supporting terrorists or whatever is claimed about Iran that doesn't qualify as war. Not really, cause but it's vague. You yeah, see? it's vague. That's like you're a terrorist. So we have evidence that you support blah blah blah. I mean, whatever they got, but this is happening before yeah. our very own. Because it happened before, like in Bosnian War, they banned Yugoslavia from Olympics. Uh, they banned South Africa because of the uh, apartheid. My issue is who gets to decide this? How many wars has the U.S. started in the Middle East? Iraq, Afghanistan. I'm sorry. Where? Why didn't they get banned from anything? There, uh, Saudi Arabia is currently bombing Somalia. Uh, sorry, Yemen yep, right yep, now. Yep. So, uh, who gets to decide this? You know, are, are we just going to pick and choose who we want to ban? So. That's my issue, and I don't, I don't think the people of a country should get um, punished for this. Like I, I just read the other day, a restaurant is going to stop calling Moscow Mule a Moscow Mule. They're just going to call him Mule. And, you know, restaurants are changing their name because they're getting so much hate from people just purely because they have a Russian title in it. And mm. Just stupid stuff like that. I'm like, are you, what has humanity come to that we're just blindly punishing anyone that is Russian <laughs> at this point? That is dumb. That reminds me of the be- beginning of COVID when everything, anything Asian or Chinese right. like, was it's discriminated against. It's just so much this hate. Are, like, when will we learn that a government does not represent the people mm-hmm. if that was the case then you know we should receive a lot of hate because of our stupid government in iran so. but what the western argument would be i mean the, the american argument say with iraq would be and i fully <laughs> I, I, I just as it would probably be uh we thought there were weapons of mass destruction we didn't we didn't intend to take over uh iraq the way you know this is a a, a russian power play to yeah. annex ukraine we you know we did but i i you're you're you actually bring up a good point i mean where were the sanctions Here's against the where, where where were the u.s teams yeah. being uh, <laughs> a banned from uh fifa during that, that whoever period? controls the media controls what 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 happens yeah. that's the that's the reality of it Shia, what do you think? Uh, yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, it 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 shows that how unfair like the system of the world uh, is going on. Like uh, a, a while before uh, Putin at uh, start his invasion, like Biden or a lot of people said, oh, he he, he he's going to attack. his go- so why they didn't sanction then? And now they sanction. I mean, it's it's preemptively it's sanctioned. Oh, yeah, yeah, to, right. to yeah. So I mean, uh, I, I think it's a uh, yeah. Who decide? It's a joke, honestly. Yeah. I but uh, I guess it so. The, 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 it's interesting, Kian, because somebody was this weekend was making the argument that you were making to me, and my response would be, let's say you're right. Let's say uh, this is 
completely hypocritical or a contradiction. And you're right, who gets to decide? Absolutely, right? Does that make doing this now a bad thing, though? I mean, in other words, shouldn't the world react somehow to Russia dropping bombs on innocent people in in Ukraine and and trying to take over an, uh, an independent country? There's no right or wrong answer. It's just... It is what it is, right? I I don't know. So you would I, you would you would prefer I, I inaction? Agree. You no, would like let's I, not do anything. I agree with the sanctioning, but I don't think like sports teams should be punished for it. Uh, individuals should be punished for it. Like you know, do what you can economically to, to like to say that this isn't okay, but to make it a personal issue against the Russian people, I think that's mm. that's where the problem is for me. My question is that like I'm actually like genuinely like want to know. Like, I want to know, is this another, like, Syria and uh, Palestine and and uh, Gaza? Because let's say Putin doesn't back out and decides to, no, I'm going to, this is mine and I'm not backing out. So, okay, so let's say he even got... Of course it is. Of course that it's another it's one of It's not going to be Well, there's over. no end game here. That's what I'm saying. It's, there's, it's, no it's, well, yeah, there's no end game. I mean, it's it's what whatever happens... It's going to be a quagmire there for decades now. I mean, it's a, there's no question about it. The, the the one thing that feels different about this, I mean, first of all, uh, it's remarkable to see the way the world is rallying. Um, it, like, it is kind of, it's both heartening and yeah. at the same time, one is overwhelmed with the sense of like, well, where were we when for the Yemeni people, you yeah, know? But yeah. but this weekend, like watching my football, you know, watching the the Arsenal and and teams, the Premier League logo, like the official logo for the British mm-hmm. Premier League soccer, is a Ukrainian flag, you know, is supporting, yeah. which is just amazing. Yeah. Like it's like, wow, this world is is rallying, right? Yeah. In a way, because the media tells them to. Well, so if, uh, if if nobody if affects them directly, but, but war in Yemen doesn't affect necessarily. No, but if the media the really created outrage and like got behind yes, yes, Yemen, yes. people would follow. Yes. People, there uh, is something. Yeah. There's there's one. There's something else that's happening here, though. Though I. I, I don't want to say this as an absolute, but it seems to me that it it doesn't feel like there's more than one side in Ukraine. You know, in other words, the Ukrainian people pre- seem pretty united against this invasion by Russia. And oftentimes, you know, when we've seen this type of attack on another country, you, you'll see that. Remember when, you know, U.S. first went into Iraq, there were some Iraqis who supported it. You know, they were like, oh, yes. They were, I yeah. mean, whether this was trumped up by the American media or whatever, there were Iraqis giving flowers to the American tanks. You know, yes, you've got an Iraqi celebrating when the statue of Saddam came down. There's and then of course it turned into a you know disaster. But the, there's nothing like that here right now. I mean, there's no, there's I mean maybe in the the, the far eastern parts of Ukraine like Crimea there's some mm-hmm. some Russian support. But you, you the, the whole country seems like they don't you know there's no support for this obviously, and that that that's pretty powerful. You know you kind of seeing people just innocent people in the middle of this. Um, completely unreasonable yeah. attack right but <laughs> i have a question yeah. um, if you were russian and uh, you know that like let's say in uh, in hundred years putin would be the like the hero there because he expanded the russian mm-hmm. land mm-hmm. so would you pay 
this price that I want to be banned from sports, from all the medias, from in terms of mm. my country gets bigger? I think there are enough supports and enough of that mentality out there that has given Putin the courage to keep going. It's not just the fact that he's a dictator and like ruling with an iron fist. But I think Keon's point is, is the most relevant one, which is that we don't know what many people in Russia are thinking yeah. because we don't know how much information they get. Yeah. I mean, most Americans were sold on the idea that there's... There's, you know, weapons, weapons of mass, of mass destruction. Weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, yeah. in Iraq, yeah. and even, you know, uh, what what do we know about what the the Russian people actually think is happening? Yeah. What, how much information is getting in there? Obviously, enough for there to be thousands of people risking their lives on the streets to protest Putin, but yeah. we don't know that part, right? The only thing we know is that Kian is a Russian spy. This <laughs> <way>. <laughs> Well, my mom has a but you know, but yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, I was no, thinking but, about but in terms of the support for Ukrainians, though, like this part really, it really moves me mm-hmm. because for those folks in Ukraine who are so proud of their country or, or defending their heritage, defending their space, you know, and, and, and standing up with, you know, uh, an inferior army, army to these tanks that are coming in from Russia, imagine seeing the world, imagine seeing you know, the British Premier League put the Ukrainian flag. And I, I fantasized this weekend of what it would feel like if if the world were rallying around Iranians who mm. wanted a regime change or something, <laughs> you know, and, the, and everywhere there was a flag. And, it, yeah. you know, it would really mean something to yeah. feel like the world is, is has got you. our back. Like, I, I think Ukrainians, if there were any, what do I know? But, I mean, just talking to a couple of friends who are Ukrainian stuff, if there were, if there were any doubts that they wanted to fight this thing, mm-hmm. now feeling the kind of energy yeah, the of the world going, we're so, you know, yeah. in awe of you guys. I mean, it's uh, for, for putting up this fight. Classic David and Goliath story. They're, they're really out there. And, and who knows? Maybe they win, man. And it would, be inc- it would be crazy if this would be the fall of Putin. Imagine. Wow. I'm really curious to get your thoughts out there. If you guys want to um, uh, uh, give us a note on any of our platforms or, or email us at info at rookmedia.com, uh, especially if you're in the Iranian diaspora, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you're of Iranian descent, wh- wh- how, how this stuff resonates for you around um, banning, around sanctions, uh, b- and and how you see this um, or, interested to keep this conversation going or if you think think there's any relevance to these kind of questions info at rookmedia.com thanks roham savvy roham did you want to say anything else um no (laughs) (laughs) I knew knew you'd be happy (laughs) he's going through his next joke listen he's risked his life by sitting next to Reza yeah it's less risky Rom sitting here crossing (laughs) his jokes that didn't land Uh, fabulous Keon Groovishaya Captain Reza get better Captain Reza and uh, our thoughts and prayers (laughs) with you Um, this is full time for Rook for Today for all things Rook, check out our new and improved website, rookmedia.com, where you can see all the previous episodes. You can see programs like the Contemporary History of Iran, Unmarried Persian Girls, 
the Rook Funnies and Rook Videos, rookmedia.com, where you can also become a patron of our program. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Savvy Rohan, talented Anahita, Ponta the artist, the fabulous Keon, Super Patty Saw, Ahoy Mehdad, Captain Reza, and Groovy Shia. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you've not done so already on any or all of our platforms. You can find me on Instagram at Giangomeshi. And as ever, we implore you. Right? Mizunbashi. Mm-hmm.